0: Welcome to Women Who Sarcast. I'm Kathy Barron. My guest today is a performer, educator, and national speaker. She is the creator and host of Barbershop Stories, which features some of New York's bravest storytellers, comedians, and memorists, all while chopping off their hair. Oh my goodness. She has spoken at TED Talk New York City and currently teaches storytelling to students through the Moths Community Program. She has a Facebook group called Ideas That Ignite, which is a group coaching program that will start in mid October. Please welcome Don Frazier. Thank you for being on the show, Don.
1: What's up, my fellow sarcaster?
0: <laughs> How's it going? I'm so excited to have you on here. I have so many questions, I want to know so many things, and I don't know that we're going to have enough time to cover everything.
1: You know, we might need to do a round two if that's, if that's what it comes down to. But, you know, uh, I, you got me now. So, so hey, I'm excited. <laughs> I know we had to postpone this because of some fires here in the Bay Area. Um, yeah, hopefully so. that's
0: all okay now and your family's all right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And no, everyone's good. You know, we had a – if you would have asked me this question last week, I'd have been like, yo, you want to talk to the 17 other people who are crashing at this (laughs) crib right now? (laughs) Actually, I don't even know if we would have had a conversation because all 17 people have been like, you know, like scattered around four different rooms.
0: We could have just interviewed the whole family. That would have been fun.
1: True. Maybe next time we (laughs) got to make sure we do this. We have a
0: natural disaster.
1: Exactly. Next earthquake (laughs) that pops up, you know, hit me up. All right. I'll do
0: that. So tell me about the Moss Community Program and how you became involved.
1: Yeah, so the Moth. Uh, for those who, for those listeners who might not know about the Moth, it's a it's a storytelling organization based out in New York City. Uh, if anyone has ever heard of a of a poetry slam where people get up and share their their poetry, it's the exact same kind of a thing where people get up and share their stories. Um, and in depending on like what which event you're going to, the slam, the story slams are similar to a poetry slam. People get up true stories got five minutes um and you know because it's based in new york city you're judged you know you're, you're judged on your story <laughs> right. you know? so that's, that's what we do these days yeah you know you can't just like tell the story for you know for fun but uh and you know if you're if you win the slam then you go on to a grand slam uh and if you win a grand slam you get nothing but accolades <laughs> <laughs> nothing but accolades but so now the, the moth has grown from just being slams into also having uh, different community programs, which is where I predominantly work, uh, working with nonprofits or partnering with nonprofits to share the techniques of storytelling and how they can share their stories. And then from all of that, I decided to to launch my own business because I I'm just I I love working with students and I also love like traveling the world. You know, my family's from Trinidad and Tobago. So oh, I took a lot of what I was learning from the moth, uh, a lot of what I learned in, in college and in grad school, and then started my own business called uh, Fraser's Edge, where now I work with uh, college students on storytelling and leadership, work with people like you, podcasters, to understand how to best put together like, you know interviews that really kind of get to the essence, the heart of people's stories and their character, and just travel the world working with people to do TED Talks. Uh, to do, you know, speeches, to do stories. It's uh, it's an amazing life. That sounds
0: awesome. I mean, I have went to art school for, my specialty was uh, documentaries. So I love hearing people's stories. I love recording them telling their stories t- so that they can share it with more people than just who they are in their environment. And I think it's important as podcasters, whether you're a solo podcaster or if you have guests on, to know how to interview and how to ask those questions and be able to kind of prompt that person to tell their story. That's a natural progression of telling the story, not, not scripting what's really happening because that's how you really get to the core of, of the story. And you may even trigger a thought that they hadn't thought of in 20 years. And it kind of starts a whole other story, part of the story. And you said that with the slams that you have five minutes to tell your story. So you pretty much have yeah. to be like to the point. You can't really ramble on and on about something. You have to be pretty intentional in what you say.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I think a lot of people will hear the word five minutes and they're like, oh, my God five minutes, that's so much time. And other people will be like, five minutes? I was supposed to tell a story in five minutes. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> so everyone kind of comes from telling a story from a different perspective, depending on how vocal or how robust your story might be. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest challenges I faced was when I was working with people who were wrongfully convicted of crimes that they hadn't committed. And, you know, we were there to... Work with them to tell their stories, and you know, most of the time they would look at us baffled. Like I spent 10 years, 15 years, 17 years, 20 years, 25 years on a I didn't commit, and you're telling me that I have five minutes to tell that story, you know? And a lot of times, the answer was yes, you know. But but, I think that what what we often have to understand is that we can't tell our life stories in five minutes.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: can tell a story. We can tell a moment, a sliver that's a reflection of our of our life in those five minutes. But not obviously not the full story. So then it's, it really comes down to like as you know, as a documentary person, like finding that, that gold. That right. that gold, like if you had to tell the story in thirty seconds, you know, what would that piece of gold be? And then what is a little bit of the before, what's a little bit of the after? Um and then people do realize that they can actually share a really powerful, impactful story in a couple of minutes. But then, of course, if they have more minutes, uh, I call minutes real estate, but like if you have more <laughs> minutes of real estate, then, you know, like fill it up with more stories, you know? Yeah, yeah. How
0: important is storytelling in podcasting?
1: One thousand percent important. You know, I think that to, to be honest with you, Kathy, I think that all podcasters are storytellers. It's just a matter of, are you doing it good?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you doing it well? Because every single podcaster is sharing some type of something with their audience. You know, if you don't really have an audience, you don't really have a podcast, in my opinion. And so that audience, you're taking your your listeners on a journey. And you're taking the person that you're interviewing on a journey. And so what is that journey? Are you actually building towards something Or are the questions that you're asking, are they flat? Is the content flat? So in my opinion, all podcasters are storytellers. You know, just kind of like all documentarians are storytellers. All filmmakers are storytellers. A lot of educators are storytellers. Uh, It's just a matter of like, how well are you actually doing it?
0: Right. So we mentioned rambling on and then an impactful story what's the difference i mean it's obvious in some ways what the difference is but i mean what what is the difference between like an impactful story compared to someone just rambling on about whatever happened in their life
1: well one of the core elements that that i always think about whenever i'm teaching storytelling is like what is the what is the element of change in the story so, have you ever been in, in in a conversation, maybe at a bar, with somebody, mm-hmm. and there's kind of like talking and talking and talking and talking, and you're not so sure, like you're like, "Hello, right. where is this going?" <laughs>
0: and then you kind of glaze over, and you kind of stop listening, and
1: right, you maybe fall asleep, <laughs> yeah. you doze off, and they still haven't picked up like the social cues. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's typically because people talk in story form in a very linear fashion. So like this happened, then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And then guess what? This happened. And then this happened. (laughs) And it's like, but there's no element of, um, this happened. And then that set me off into like a crisis or set me off into a a path where things got really bad. Mm. Um, but then finally I realized that I needed to, to change or I needed to shift or I had like my Oprah Winfrey, aha, moment Mm -hmm. right so and then and then I realized that this was important because of blah 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 so I often think about it like like taking somebody on a journey if you're trying to go from point A to point B you can go the express route and just kind of like fly them there with all the windows closed you know darkness and you just get them there or you can have the windows up and as you're like flying over the Grand Canyon you can talk about the crevices that are in the land and you can talk about the sense of the of the birds and the people and can build in all those sensory details and then show how important it is to preserve this kind of experience or for to preserve or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there has to be something that, that changes even if it's a matter of, I wasn't expecting to learn this or, you know, this was really kind of a cool insight or uh, this is what I learned from this. And to get to those points rather eloquently and quickly depending on how much real estate you have
0: right it's like reading a book you want to keep people you know turning the page if you're the writer so you want to have people continue to listen and keep their attention so that they stay with you through the whole story and not just fade away
1: exactly and I was actually listening to uh do you know of this American Life? And do you know oh that yeah,
0: podcast?
1: yeah yeah. All right, cool. So Alex Bloomberg, he used to work on This American Life for a long time. He has this great series out about storytelling and podcasting. And one of the things that really stuck with me was he said that like after about like every like minute and change, I think it is that if something like isn't introduced to your storyline, like a new character, a new thought, a a plot point, then you are risking the chance of your listener. Starting to like zone out, mm-hmm. right? And and that's just the brain. We're just talking like the way that we as humans listen for for stories. Like something has to be moving the momentum of the story along rather quickly, every couple of minute, minute and a half or so. So yeah, I think that there's like little things that you can do to keep stories engaging. But overall, I have to like have some type of element of change. Something has to. We have to be leading up to something that is going to give the listener a payoff.
0: That's probably why I can't listen to audiobooks, because I am usually driving. And so mm-hmm. my mind just kind of wanders, and I don't even hear half of what I'm listening to. <laughs> so then I have to rewind. And it's like, this isn't working for me. So does a story always need a lesson or to teach you something or moral of the story? Is that something that always needs to
1: be part of a story? That's a good question. A story always needs some type of conclusion or resolution or moral that conclusion or resolution doesn't have to be like neat and tied together with a nice little bow you know it doesn't have to mean like you are at the end of a journey i know a lot of people who tell stories and they are still in the mix of it they're still trying to figure it out but the key is that they know that they're not in this they're not the same person or they didn't start off at the same place that they did at the beginning of the story so it may not necessarily be a moral but it might be like a, a change in perspective that they know is happening. So yeah, it always has to have like that that end part. That end part has to connect back to that beginning part. Mm-hmm. So it, d- it definitely has to have some type of ending. But does that ending have to be like concrete and solid and known, like, yeah, now, now I've changed in this magnificent <laughs> way, it's like, no, no, that's not how humans are. <laughs>
0: So I've watched a few of your performances and you said something in your TED Talk that really hit me in the solar plexus. You were telling the story about your twin brother, Dwayne, running in the Special Olympics and he was about to cross the finish line but stopped short, turned around, and helped another runner while the others passed them and crossed the finish line. And you said, my entire life, I thought that Dwayne and I were on the same mission, to finish first. But Dwayne's mission was to make sure that everyone finished, period. How did that realization change you and your storytelling? Oof.
1: Yeah. You know, when it first happened, you know when, when things first happen and you don't really know what they mean? Mm-hmm when it first happened, I was like, what is going on? (laughs) What's, what's, what's happening in this moment? Um, and one of the, one of the reasons why I love sharing the story is because it made me think about that experience in three different ways in terms of my story. The first time that I told it I thought that the main crux of the story was about me learning to be a better sport. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was about me knowing that everything about sports, about you know, competition, um, but then clearly not knowing everything about what it meant to be a good, to be a true sport and sportsmanship. And so I thought that the, that the change in the story was about me first having to understand what it was to be an athlete and then what it was like to actually be an inclusive athlete in terms of sports. But then the second way I started thinking about it was that it changed the way that I interacted and I thought about my my twin brother. Because, you know, even though we're twins, it made me think about, okay, maybe the story is actually about how I've always um thought that I would kind of need to like be the one like supporting him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because of his special needs. And then the story I realized could be more about him helping me to understand my own needs, redefining what it meant for me to be his equal, Mm. you know. Uh, And so then the, the, the framework of the story then changed to be more so about what our relationship was like. So my relationship with my brother at the beginning of the story versus my relationship with him at the end of the story. But then yet again... When it came down to TED, the third version, which is the version that that you ended up hearing, Mm -hmm. was a change from me understanding how people think about those who have special needs and the way that we think about the special needs of those who are in the Special Olympics and whatnot, and reframing it to think about actually special gifts. Like, what are the special gifts that we can learn from people who have developmental disabilities? So from special needs, to special gifts. As a storyteller, I think that one experience when it first happened was just like a, a moment where I was just like, okay, this is something. This is definitely something. But it took me some time as a storyteller to figure out what that something was and how I was going to articulate it within within the crux of a story.
0: So the story evolved with each time you told it.
1: Right. And the more that I talked about it, the more that I, I, like, worked with a coach as well, a storytelling coach, to figure out, is this making sense? Is this landing? Because, you know, you can imagine not a lot of people in the world have, you know, a twin with special needs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I kind of had to test it out to see, like, if the moral of the story, the ending of the story was landing. If it was, if it was making sense, if it was resonating with people. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how does that process feel to you with each time you tell it? Is it like, I mean, I would think it would be exciting to kind of, cause you're kind of molding it. It's like this clay that you're kind of molding each time you touch to it, tell it and, yeah. and create it and tell it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because, you know, as a, as a, as a person who also tells stories, you know how things just kind of like evolve differently Mm -hmm. and like you might tell a story and it reminds you like, Oh, wait a minute. I, I forgot to mention the fact that I was blah, 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 or this is the way that I was feeling. Or, you know, sometimes you might even talk to somebody who's in your story and they might be like, well, I don't remember it like that. I don't remember some other details. Right. Right. (laughs) So my older brother was also at UCLA when this happened and Actually, so uh, my, my older brother has been at most of these track and field events mm-hmm. during our life, and so when we were talking about the story, he was like, "Oh, Don, 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 Wait, Wait, this is my brother." He's like, "Don, Don, 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 You have to, you have to include the fact that, like, you know, that Dwayne was just like, you know, just like, just like, he was like there. He was just like standing there, and like he, he had won the race. He smoked them. You, know, you need to like, you need to let people know that he smoked them." right? <laughs> and I was like, was he that far ahead? He's like, yeah, he was that far ahead, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and so, so like, you know, and then he also reminded me that of like other times that he had just started getting involved with the special Olympics and how, how much fun it was for him just to, to be involved, mm-hmm. you know, and I had forgotten some of these, some of these memories, right. But they were always in the stands Always looking down, you know. Um, actually, there's in the TED Talk there's a picture of of Dwayne like actually running at the meet. Mm-hmm. I didn't take that picture. Um, my brother did. Mm-hmm. So, it, so, so it was you know, a photo sometimes... finish
0: that could have happened.
2: <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I just think it's really cool when other people have the same experience, but they. But it's their experience. It's through their lens. It's through their eyes, right?
0: Different perceptions. Yeah, I'm the youngest of six. So the oldest from me is four years. And so wow. I brought up something that happened. And she's like, what are you talking about? That didn't happen. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're right there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's everybody sees things through their
1: own lens. And they have their own memories of, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it happens all the time, all the time, which is why I'm always a big advocate of people actually sharing your story from your perspective mm-hmm. because, and, and, and it's authentic and it's true that, that you remember it.
0: Right. And it's truth for them. Right. Because that's what they experienced regardless of how many other people were in the same room watching the same thing.
1: Right. Because right.
0: we all have our own history and our own memories that can add to that experience, because an experience brings up other experiences that we've had in our life sometimes. Exactly, yeah.
1: And also, you know, if I were to ask you about something that uh, you know that happened recently, like you know, say in the past week, um, and say like this was a really you know something that was really traumatic, like let's let's say, for example. I don't know if this is the case or not, but let's say you lost your job during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And if you put on your lens today, you're like, you know what, Dawn, this is some BS. I've worked with this company for like 10 years. I thought that these were my people. I thought they would never let me down. This is some BS, right? And then I ask you like, you know, six months from now, hey, Kathy, how, how are things going? You know, with the job, you are like, you know what? I am so happy I was fired. You know, <laughs> right. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I'm like doing my own show. I'm talking to people. I'm living my best life. Mm-hmm. Right. Your lens and your perspective can change. And I recently was told by a friend, I love this quote. She was like, you know, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Mm. And it's so true because things are always going to be changing. But how we our spin on any any one moment might change as we grow and as we continue to evolve.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great saying. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You also work with businesses and students for, like, personal development. How is storytelling related to being an effective leader?
1: Great question. So... It's funny because, you know, like storytelling has become a buzzword. Yeah, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everything's always ruined, isn't it? (laughs) Become some kind of trend that's been happening for, you know, thousands of years.
1: Right. It's been going on forever. But now like businesses are like, you need to tell your story. And then they try and do it. And I'm like, oh. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not, <laughs> that's not work. <laughs> that's not, not going to that, work. <laughs> that's not good. Um, but it is true that a lot of people, especially nowadays with, uh, so many of us just being online, we're constantly being sold to, we're constantly being pitched, uh, or constantly being bombarded with like messages and people don't just buy just random stuff. We buy things that align with what we're committed to, things that we're passionate about. And I'm talking about physical products. It could be like something as simple as the microphone that you're using. So as it relates to leadership, for those who are like in businesses and those who are like looking to like really engage with their audience about a product or a service, it really comes down to more so about like not what this product or this service is going to do for you when you own it, but more about, how it's going to make you feel when you have it, when you do own it, right? Mm. So, and that kind of goes back to the crux of, of a story. Stories are built off of off of emotion. They're built off of this idea of change. And that emotion could be positive. It could be like, you know, I feel inspired when I eat my Twix candy bar, you know. Is-
0: <laughs> <laughs> For like five seconds, and then you have regret after that, right? <laughs>
1: And then it's like, okay, now I know I need to jump on my Peloton because that's really going <laughs> me back into feeling like I'm doing something for my body, right? right. <laughs> but yeah, it's really about, it, it, I, you know, people don't want to know about a lot of the specs. Of course, like the specs of things are important. But for example, like, do you remember like when FaceTime first came out? Mm-hmm. So Apple had this commercial where... It was super simple. It was like, you know, a man talking to his daughter and he's trying to get his daughter to like smile. Come on, honey, just smile for me, just smile for me. She's like, I don't want to, I don't want it. It's like, come on, I'll get you that puppy that you that you've wanted for the longest time. And she starts to smile and she's like, really? You know, and, and then she smiles and you see that she has like these braces, like with these little <laughs> pink rubber bands around it. Yeah. And it just ends with FaceTime, right? And the reason why like, it was such a, a, a memorable commercial is because it just kind of taps into that emotion. It doesn't sh- tell you, like, now with FaceTime, you can see each other. You can now be able to get a chance to actually physically see this person on your phone. They just built a little story, a story with two characters and how that will make you feel when you're able to see somebody for the first time through this camera. You mm-hmm. know? So the story is more so the story that businesses can share need to lean more into the emotion that people will feel when they own your product or your service, as opposed to just the physical product itself. And then for students and for like leaders, it's really about what is the vision for your people, your crew, whoever's like listening to you. Mm -hmm. So the story then becomes about like, this is the things that I've seen. These are the outcomes I've experienced. And this is kind of like the next thing that, that, I want people to, to be on this journey with me because I'm so amped or I'm inspired or I've changed or um, I believe something differently. So, but once again, it kind of just all goes back into the core of stories, which is that human connection.
0: Yeah, the human connection is definitely the end goal, I think, or the the golden nugget of storytelling. Yeah. So with advocacy, is that kind of similar what you had just said, does that pertain to that as well? Or is there a different tweak for advocacy and, I guess, what, activism? I guess you could kind of put that in there.
1: Yeah, well, well both for activism and for stories for business, the main tweak, the main difference is there needs to be some type of call to action. Mm. So for, like, advocacy, one of my mentors, actually, in the storytelling world uses this model Called public narrative, and public narrative is kind of broken down into like the story of yourself, the story of your us, and then the story of now. Hmm. So the story of of self, me being Trinidadian, being a woman, uh, being a person of color in the United States, living in an urban area, right? That's me. My us are people who are immigrants. My us are podcasters. My us are other, you know, people of color. Uh, my us are other women. Blah blah blah. And my story of now is, you know, that there's a lot of a lot of kind of tension and and chaos that's being put upon women, um, the LGBT population. And so the story of now is to like, let's get out people to mobilize the vote or let's get out people now to like to work in in coalition Mm -hmm. so that we can protect our rights. So it has to the story of now, therefore, becomes more of a call to action. Mm-hmm. more so than like a story per se. Right. Kind of going back to your first question in terms of the moral of the story, the moral error, what I, what I want you to do now that I've shared with you the story is I want you to, to take action. I want you to, to, you know, mobilize with me. I want you to invest in my business.
0: There's a lot to storytelling that people wouldn't think.
1: Yeah. It's funny because it's actually very right and left brain. Mm-hmm. You hear a really good story. You're connecting to the the emotion of it. But behind the scenes is a structure that once laid out, and once you see it, you're like, oh, that's why this shit works so good. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm so drawn to this person or, <laughs> or to this political candidate or whatever that might be. Right, You know? right. The story that they're sharing. Yeah.
0: Anything else you'd like to add that you think people need to know about storytelling?
1: Well, I think that one of the things that happens a lot with people telling stories is we tend to go too broad Mm. or we tend to go too vague so one of the things i always encourage people to do is to first think about very specifically like what is a scene or what is a moment that would have to be included in in your story and that is usually the moment of the story when things are about to kick off, like things are about to get crazy or it's the aha moment, right? It's typically one of those two main points in the story. And that's what happens with the brain, Like right? The brain, like, uh, uh, can I geek out for a quick second with, with brain Absolutely, stuff? Absolutely, yeah. All right, cool. So the reason why why we remember things, like certain things so vividly is because they're a, a diversion, a diversion from the norm. For example, you kind of see my, my pup over there, right? <laughs>
0: Is that the snoring that I hear?
1: (laughs) That that is is the snoring that you hear in the background. This is like laser bones. (laughs) But like, say for example, every single morning, this dog that is that is over here, she wakes up, she wags her tail, she wants to eat, and then she wants to go for a walk. But one day, I wake up and my dog is gone. My dog is missing. I, I'm going to remember that day more specifically because typically my pattern is this, mm-hmm. but then one day something happens. But then one day is kind of like a, a diversion from the norm. But then one day my dog is missing. So I go outside and I'm searching the streets. I'm asking neighbors. I'm talking to, I'm putting up posters, blah, 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 blah. So me putting up posters, me talking to the neighbors, that's summary. You know, I'm not going to every single detail mm-hmm. of that uh, because that would extend the story because what I really want to get to is the the climax of the story, which was, oh, my goodness, the dog was hiding underneath the covers this entire time, right? right? right. <laughs> That's like kind of like the uh, aha. Uh, so the memory, the memory probably starts off with either A, the dog being missing, or B, the dog being hidden under the covers, even though I've been searching for it for 14 hours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what we tend to do is we either spend too much time getting to – like these, these critical scenes in the story, or we spend too much time talking about like, I went to this neighbor, they said this, and then went to that neighbor, and they said that, and then when I was writing posters, I was crying, my drips were going down to the paper. Sometimes we don't need all those freaking details. Right. Like you need to get us to the point of the story. Yeah, right. Taking
0: right. the scenic route when it doesn't need to be.
1: Right. That's not the moment for the scenic route. <laughs> The moment for the scenic route is when I get back to my bedroom and I'm just like crying and I'm sobbing because I I can't find my dog. I can't believe I lost my dog. And I go to lay down and I'm about to put my head on my pillow and I feel a tail. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a lot of times I, I recommend that people think about like what really needs to be a scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What needs to be kind of like told in summary, like rather quickly to get me to that next scene. I need to know like what the, uh, the emotional through line is. Mm hmm. So I, I can't remember who was this, and I'm not. I'm going to misquote it, so I'm not even going to mention a name. But I learned somewhere in my storytelling journey that some people actually have, like, a text in terms of this is actually what the story is about, like, written, like, what happened. And this is what I want people to feel at different parts of the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's almost like two different arcs. Right. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought that that was really cool because... If what you're saying matches how you want people to feel, then you're really becoming masterful at, at telling telling your story and knowing how it's landing.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And knowing how many minutes you're going to be spending on any part of your story, depending on how many minutes you have total. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if you have five minutes, you want to have your setup be like 30 seconds before kind of getting into like the real crisis of the story. Right. You don't want to spend too much time. And then at the very end, once you reach that aha moment, you also don't want to keep on going forever and ever, amen, after that either. Yeah. You want to leave people on that high note. Right. You
0: know, you don't want to distill it.
1: Yeah, wrap it up.
0: So when you're telling a story, your tone and your body language is part of it too because people feed off of that and that gets their attention as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, one of the things I look for when people are sharing their stories, not only like their their body language, like how they're actually holding themselves, but also like, what is it called when you have an emphasis on different words? Intonation, is it? Mm, I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have a, a sentence that said, I'm not calling you crazy. That sentence could be like, I'm not calling you crazy as in, like, somebody else is calling you crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not calling you crazy, as in I'm, I am calling you crazy, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling you crazy. I'm calling somebody else crazy. Or I'm not calling you crazy. Right. Right. I'm calling you bananas. And so sometimes the way that we are trying to articulate our stories, we have to pay attention to like where exactly we're putting our emphasis on in certain words to make sure it's actually getting across properly.
0: It's kind of like punctuation and all that other good stuff.
1: Right, right. And depending on how we're holding ourselves and how, we're, how our, our bodies are and how our, our voice and our tone is coming across, all those things kind of play a role in, in how our stories are received. Right, yeah. Well, this
0: is a lot of good nuggets that you're uh giving us on storytelling. I really appreciate you taking the time and being on the show because I know I learned a ton just in these what forty five minutes that we've been talking. Yeah. So I appreciate your uh wisdom and in coming on the show and sharing it.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I I think that stories, as you know, as you obviously you can see and hear from the power of my voice. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> From the intonation. From the intonation that I think that, that stories are just super cool. Once you share your story, you own that shit, right? Yeah. Nobody can can say, well, no, that's not your story because it is.
0: And stories are life, really. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much for being on the show, Don. I really yeah. appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite.
0: You can find Don Fraser at www.donjfraser.com on social media. And she also has a Facebook group called Ideas That Ignite for group coaching program, which is starting mid-October. Thank you for listening to Women Who Sarcast, an independent podcast. We welcome and encourage your snarky comments. Contact us at womenwhosarcast at yahoo.com And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Sarcast. Support us on Patreon and become part of our sarcastic community. Visit www.patreon.com backslash Women Who Sarcast. Show music provided by Mike Mbassiani.